Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our indigenous community from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Dr. Dr. Denise Lajabonis, an educator, a writer, an artist, and a supporter of indigenous presence in the creative world. She's from Belcourt, North Dakota. What makes Dr. Lajabonis so interesting is her constant effort to create, whether it's through the spoken word or her traditional artwork of birch bark biting, she seeks out creative partnerships and promotes young authors within her own work, whether through her education or workshops that she works with, mentorship has influenced a generation of young indigenous artists. So let's jump into this interview with Dr. Elijah Mardier. Dr. Denise Lajamordier, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. How are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> Beautiful, sunny, cold day in North Dakota. <laughs> Oh, yes. Yes. We will have plenty of those in the, the time ahead of us. It feels like winter is just starting now. Yes. We look forward to 30 below zero wind chill tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Back to normal. Back to normal. Yeah, weather, yeah that's true right for January. Yep. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, would you be able to uh, introduce yourself? Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and where you're from. Uh, my name is, uh, my English name is uh, Denise Lajmadir, and uh, my tribal name, I have two of them. One is uh, Thundercloud Woman, the other is Morning Star Woman, and I am from Belcourt, North Dakota, the beautiful Turtle Mountains which is where I am at here today. Well, I've been here for a couple of years. Now. Well, this is my home. So the only time I leave my home is to go to school and to work. So I was in uh, Fargo there for a couple of years as a professor at North Dakota State University and educational leadership professor. So I was there 12 years. I retired two years ago and moved back mm. home. Well, I always had a home here, a house here to the beautiful Turtle Mountains, my lovely home. I have what I call a cozy cottage here on Belcourt Lake or Fish Lake. So uh, I was born here and um, grew up here. Well, I was here for until I was about six years old. And uh, then there was a program called Relocation and we relocated to Portland, Oregon. So I went to school from first grade all the way through my freshman and sophomore year at Portland State University. And then happily moved back home. There was a program at University of North Dakota called Northern Plains uh, Indian Teacher Corps. So I jumped into that and got my teaching degree and taught here for 22 years. And went back to school. I can go on and on just about my school background. Uh, went back to school and got my master's, became a principal here. Went back to school, got my doctorate and uh, worked as a professor at NDSU. I found I love teaching, not so much administration, but my heart is in teaching. So I'm back home. So I'm, I'm very happy here. Retired a couple of years ago. I think I said that already. 
and um, just been staying busy doing fun things now that I'm retired. Do you, uh, since uh, your retirement and being back home, uh, have you been um, called to any of the local schools to to work or advise? Um, how has that process been for you? Yeah, every summer, um, even when I was uh, teaching uh, for about five years now, during the summers, uh, we put on a Turtle Mountain Teen Arts and Writers workshop for junior uh, kids in middle school and kids in high school. So that's a week-long workshop, usually around June. So my goal was to, I, you know, as a, as a writer, I didn't have mentors. You know, back in the 60s and 70s, I didn't have Native uh, writers that were mentors when I was um, trying to write poetry. So I want these students to know that they can start young, that they can be a poet, that they can be a writer uh, and an artist. So, um, so we bring in uh, mostly Ojibwe artists and writers from all around the, the region, um, Minneapolis and South Dakota, mostly Ojibwe, but um, Native uh, mentors for the students. So I love that. Of course, this past summer, we, we had to postpone it. And I'm not sure about what's going to happen this coming summer. So I stay involved in the community. We, we had a, another program that uh, closed down now too called Generation Art. So I'll go and help sew uh, ribbon skirts uh, and ribbon shirts for the eighth grade graduates. That was a lot of fun. Uh, this, the, we decided to have the ask if the eighth grade girls would wear ribbon, uh, ribbon skirts for their graduation here. So it was just beautiful. Then the young men, the boys, they said, well, we want something too. So then we made ribbon shirts for them. So I was pretty involved there with uh, doing sewing and just doing some different lessons and talking about uh, the, um, the traditions behind the ribbon skirt. And then one thing that was really fun also is this past semester, I was invited by the Turtle Mountain Community College to teach Native literature and oral traditions class. And oh my goodness, I had a blast with that. And you know, I'm usually teaching people how to be principals, but to teach freshman Native students on my own reservation, all Native students about Native literature, that mm. was I loved every minute of every class. And what was fun is that in the poetry world, uh, I, you know, you make connections and contacts. So, and it was online. So I had Louise beam in, Louise Erdrich. I had Hyde Erdrich beam in, Kimberly Blazer, um, Gordon Henry. So I had all these, my friends in the poetry world that are all over the country. I had them beam in and talk to the class as, as, after we read their books. So that was so much fun. So those are some of the things I'm keeping busy doing. And of course, I'm continuing to write poetry. I, uh, my latest poetry book came out a few months back. And um, now I'm, we're in the, the midst of doing some PR for a children's book that will be coming out in May. So I met with on Zoom, <laughs> to, with four of the PR people from the Minnesota State Historical Society, along with the, the artist <clears throat> who happens to be uh, Angie Erdrich, uh, the Erdrich sisters. She's a master. Uh, she's a watercolor artist. So what fun to collaborate on on my first children's book with someone who happens to also be a wonderful friend and incredibly talented. She's also a pediatrician with four kids. So she's got a busy life too. 
So that'll be coming out in May. So we're in the midst of, uh, it's out for pre-order. It's called Josie Dances. So that's my first children's book. So that's sort of what I've been doing since I retired a couple of years ago. <laughs> Well, congratulations! Yeah. That that's exciting, um, and we definitely if if there's a link, we can we can put that into our show notes uh, so people can click on that if if they're interested. Yeah. Oh, I love it! Sure, let's do that. Oh, that's great! That's great! And how exciting is it to to work with with the Eldrick sisters? Um, yeah, uh, they they are national treasures, but Minnesota is so lucky to have that family there. Well, they're also from Belcourt. They're from Turtle Mountains. So we're enrolled oh. in the same tribe. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I I, oh, I used to work yeah. in um, Wapiton uh, with them. And I, for whatever reason, my mind had them over in, in Minnesota. So, well, th- yeah. Well, they're there. They're, all three of them, those three are there. Lisa, the other sister, is still in Wapiton. Yep. And, um, but they're enrolled here in, in Turtle Mountain. So they spend a lot of time up here growing up with their family on the, on the Gornal side, on their mom's side. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, how how exciting for your students to have them and, and you as as mentors in this this class. Um, it's a it was a Zoom class, I I presume. Yeah, yeah. As yep, with everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's actually Google Meet, which is the same thing, but it was through the mm-hmm. uh, community college. But it was I just see. I just loved it. It was so much fun. Oh, that's great. Um, can you talk about uh, your your influences uh, growing up artistically? Yeah, well, that's a good segue because uh, my biggest influences growing up are uh, are poets. Because I've been I've been writing my first poet with, poem was uh, was sort of published by my elementary school when I was in fifth grade. So uh, then I took a high school creative writing class and I wanted to write poetry, so I wrote more poetry. And my teacher, I'll never forget her. She, her name was Mrs. Av Shalomov. And at the end of my senior year, she took me aside uh, at a class after class. And she said, you know, Denise, you can, you can write. And I, at that time, there were no other Native writers that I knew of. There were no Native poets, no Native American, American Indian poets or writers that could be mentors or that I could read. So I just figured in my little very shy uh, brain that, well, Indians just don't write. So I thought, oh, poor Mrs. Off, Shalom off. She doesn't understand Indians don't write. So I sort of quit writing uh, or, or looking, uh, doing a whole lot of poetry. I, I was still take notes. Uh, you know, you can't not write when, you, when you're a poet. I, I found that out. So I'd write scraps of pieces of paper. I take a class every now and then, my freshman, sophomore year, and so on. And then in 1984, I picked up a book called Love Medicine, and that book was not only written by a Native female uh, writer, but she was enrolled in my tribe, and that was Louise Erdrich. So I took out my notebooks, my journals, my scraps of poetry, and, and got to work again. And then the neatest thing happened, and I don't remember the year. It was before 2010. Her and uh, Hyde decided to do poet poetry uh, workshops, writing workshops here at the community college here, here in, in mm. Turtle Mountain. Mm. So I didn't know them, but I knew Lisa, uh, Lisa, uh, because she had, she was working here. So I signed up for the workshop and was introduced to them. And the, the neatest thing happened. I, I gave the shoebox of poems to, <laughs> to Louise and Hyde, and they read them overnight. And the next day they 
uh, Louise took me out beneath an a uh, burr oak tree by the lake here, by uh, just off of the college. <clears throat> and she looked at me and she said, Denise, you can write. So, oh my God. So it's like, it was like this, <clears throat> this full circle, <clears throat> excuse me. So um, it took a couple more years, but they helped me through the workshops and through a lot of writing and revising to put together my first poetry book, which was called Dragonfly Dance. And Louise wrote the introduction to it. So her and Hyde are absolutely my first influences in, uh, in in poetry. When I was getting my doctorate in uh, 2006, I was at UND again, and I decided to take poetry workshops at that level. And I was accepted into a class by Dr. Larry Y. Woody. And he was, he is the poet laureate of North Dakota. And he was the instructor <clears throat> for the, for the poetry classes. And he fell in love with my work. Uh, and he was so encouraging. He did line, line uh, edits, uh, line by line editing for me. Uh, I revised, revised, revised. I learned a lot of the tricks of the trade, a lot of the skills, a lot of the form poems. I had told him once, I said, well, you know, I'm from the 70s. We don't do form poems. You know, I was acting <laughs> <laughs> that kind of way, like as if. And he looked at me and he said, in order to break the form, you need to know the form you know, like sort of in order to break out of it. So I, I still do, I'll still slap a poem into a certain form, a sestina, um, so on like that. So I learned a lot from him. He took me around the state with him to do poetry readings. And I was, you know, shy. I was nervous. I was a wreck, but he just threw me out there and said, and I said, well, which poem should I read? He said, I don't know, just read one of them. <laughs> and so he was so encouraging. So he's so those those people have been absolutely my my biggest influences um, for for poetry, which um, is a big part of my life. So, if I, I would like to um, segue a little bit into your influences for uh, birch biting. Okay, yeah, yeah, birch bark biting, and another totally serendipitous uh, path. That, that led me to doing this other art that I absolutely love. Mm -hmm. I was doing a poetry reading at the Idlejorg Museum. And they had a bunch of artists outside set up in tents. And I was just walking around. And I have this thing about dragonflies. That's a whole another story. But uh, I saw this birch bark and it had what looked like a little dragonfly on it. And uh, the artist was Kelly Church. And I said, oh, I have to buy this. And, and I said, what is this? So she explained that it was birch bark biting. <clears throat> so I bought the little piece and uh, came home and, and started um, peeling some birch bark uh, from the trees around here in the Turtle Mountains. <clears throat> and she sent me sort of the tricks of the trade, you know, how thin to peel it and how to fold it. And she sent me uh, sheets of uh, papers that she had copied some of her birch bark bitings on. So from there, I practiced and practiced for about four years. And the, the biggest thing is that I have the teeth, the, the eye teeth, to be able to do birch bark biting. Hmm. So I was, I'm very fortunate. And uh, it came, came pretty easy. So after about four years of practicing, I, was, I started selling it, started framing and started selling, uh, selling my pieces. And then I happened to get a huge grant from the Minnesota Historical Society. Um, through uh, Ben Gessner uh, was one of the leads in that. And then I got to do research about birch bark biting. I got to fly out to the American Indian Museum 
in D.C. I went up to Canada to some of the first uh, birch bark biting uh, ladies up there. Some of their workers also in museums. Uh, Angelique Marasti, she's passed away since, but I got to see some of her her work. And uh, so I just learned a lot about birch bark biting. It, it, it's a pre-contact art before, you know, Columbus came. Uh, it was used as patterns for doing uh, quill work on, say, our moccasins, our coats, or our clothes. And then, of course, when we got beads and we started doing uh, patterns uh, using uh, biting, you know, a double pattern for doing beadwork, say, on top of our moccasins. Mm. So, yeah, and it's I've learned a lot about birch bark in general. I now have books and books and articles on birch bark. The, the uh, chaga comes from birch bark is a medicine, like an anti-cancer medicine. I drink chaga tea every day now. Um, the bark, of course, was used for everything for us, our jimans, our canoes, our baskets, um, everything, our, our homes. Um, so I, lo- I have two birch bark trees sitting out here outside my windows um, uh-huh. by the lake here. And I, I, they're just beautiful. So I go out and I just hug them every now and then. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't peel them. In fact, I don't peel bark anymore uh, in the Turtle Mountains because our trees are pretty young and they're pretty small. So I have a friend in Michigan. And I went out to Michigan a couple summers ago and we went out and peeled birch bark. You have to know know, how to peel the tree so you don't, we don't harm the tree at all. We don't kill the tree. So we only peel a few layers and uh, we do a ceremony, of course, uh, for the tree to give thanks to the tree for giving us uh, this material to do this beautiful artwork. So I wasn't able to go out there, of course, this spring, but my friend did peel some for me and and mailed me some. So I like to spend summers outside uh, peeling the bark. Um, Peeling it is uh, very, very soothing, very relaxing and almost healing for me. I usually, it's quiet um, and the the warmth of the sun helps it peel because there's a natural oil in it. And then during the winter, like in February, I'll st- I have a show coming up in uh, later on in the spring, <clears throat> so I'll start doing some biting uh, during during the winter. Just again, you can't go outside, <laughs> so it just gives me uh, something to do. And I want to start doing more beadwork on my birch bark uh, pieces. And I I also learned from uh, Mel Lash in Minnesota how to do some quill work on birch bark. So right now I'm, I'm, I'm working on another academic book manuscript right now and I am doing some beadwork. So once I get through with that, then I'll clear my table and take out my birch bark uh, biting. I've also taught myself through some workshops how to frame my own work, which then it's, it's a little bit cheaper because framing the work is really expensive. Oh, yes. And then I'll get ready for the, the show in the spring. So, yeah, so Kelly Church and the Erdrich sisters are some of my greatest influencers. Oh, that's that's wonderful. I love hearing their names. So how have you developed your career, uh, both in college, post-college? Yeah, my, yeah, I've, so I've been a teacher, a principal, and a professor, associate professor for a total of 44 years uh, before I retired. <clears throat> I started 
Uh, well, when I was out in Oregon, when we were on relocation, we would come home during the summers and I loved it back here. Um, I, I wanted to stay here. I didn't want to ever go back to Portland, but my folks, they were, they were boarding school. So they were taken away, you know, sent away from their parents. So they wouldn't let us be separated from them as kids. So I always knew from the time I was 12 years old that I was going to be a teacher. I was going to go home to my home reservation and teach native kids. And because I ran into so much racism and discrimination as a young kid in school, the only Indian kid in this all white schools, um, I said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to have, teach them how to be very proud of themselves, mm-hmm. to be proud of who they are as, as little Indian kids and um, teach them about their culture and dance and beadwork and all cool things like that. So I did my first two years of college uh, at Portland State University. Now, my parents, of course, were very poor and they really had no expectations of us kids going anywhere beyond beyond high school. But they they did want to see us graduate. But uh, I was pretty determined to become a teacher. So the my sophomore year, there was a program that got started out there and it was called... Um, well, it was a teacher club program, but on the West Coast. And by the end of, oh, so you had to be a sophomore. So I started my sophomore, I mean, you had to be a, a junior. So I started my junior year out there uh, learning to be a teacher. And then I saw a flyer that had Northern Plains Indian Teacher Corps at University of North Dakota. Oh, my heavens. So I talked to everybody uh, in the program and they said, go ahead and apply. And if you get accepted, go ahead and, and we'll transfer you out there. So that's exactly what happened. So I, I packed up my suitcase and got on the train and came back home and jumped into the program and did most of my student teaching here on the reservation and haven't looked back since. So I uh, taught here for 22 years. I taught for a few years in, in Newtown and uh, came back. And then at one point, after 20 years of teaching, which I still loved, I loved going into school every day, but I was kind of restless and wanted to just do something different. So I enrolled in, again, at University of North Dakota, I enrolled in uh, a, a master's program in educational leadership to train to be a principal. So did that, graduated from there, came home, was hired as principal, worked at that for four years. And then there came available a, co- a cohort program again at University of North Dakota, uh, not not a native program, but just a, a program for a doctoral program. It was a cohort program, and it was a three year program. Uh, the if you could, you know, do everything in three years, graduate with your dissertation done and everything. So I jumped into that program, and I ended up going there full time. So I did graduate with my dissertation uh, within the three years. So then I thought, okay, now what? I wanted to come back home here, but there weren't any jobs available for someone with a a doctoral degree. Those jobs were already taken at the college and so on. So I applied at North Dakota State University and some other colleges, but I I, I accepted the position in educational leadership at, at NDSU. And I ended up being the first Native female, Native American female at the university, and also the first female in the educational leadership program. Isn't that crazy? Ugh, it was wow. pretty much a male-dominated wow. field. 
And um, and here we are in the heart of Indian country, but I was the first uh, Native female. There was another professor mm. there, and he was Cherokee, um, and he and he really was Cherokee. But he, <laughs> yeah, he, and he he retired and, and went back down to to Oklahoma, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, so I taught there for twelve years, and again, I pretty much enjoyed every minute of it of, of teaching. I, I, again, I was teaching, even though there were bigger, older kids. <laughs> I was teaching, <laughs> which I found is what I'm best at. So, how do you seek opportunities? So I don't, I'm not sure what, what that means. Opportunities for what? So uh, with uh, with a lot of the the, the artists that I um, talk to, uh, opportunities present themselves in different phases of their careers. Um, you know, young artists really uh, follow the the art market scene, and eventually um, things progress to where they are um, asked to do uh, workshops or lead classes or whatnot. So. Maybe within um, uh, your writing career, uh, how have opportunities presented themselves to you? Okay, cool. All right, good. Got it. The, for for my art, yes, it seems like once you get your name out there, you know, you got a website, and then I sign up for art shows in, in Minneapolis or different places uh, fairly close close to here. Uh, then people start knowing your name. And they start contacting you. Would you would you like to come do this, do an art show here, like this one that's in rugby, just a little ways from here, a museum there? They contacted me. So over the last few years, uh, people start contacting me. And then I also uh, got into applying for grants. So I've had you know First Peoples Grant, uh, the grant from the Minnesota Historical Society, and then there's a grant that just came through. Uh, it's L-U-C-E. It's a uh, indigenous fellowship and it's a $50,000 grant. And there was 450 people that applied for that and they selected 100. So I made it through the top 100. Uh-huh. And then I just sent off the the rest of the application they asked for as a top 100 and they will select the next top 25 out of those 100. And then from there you do an interview and then they select the top 10. So holy smokes. So that's, it's a long shot, but I'll try that. So the grants, uh, and then there's uh, North Dakota, some grants through North Dakota also that I applied for. And and they helped me with with gas money or to get the supplies to do my, to do my framing uh, supplies, paper to wrap up the, you know, the framed artwork to when that, when someone buys it, things like that. So it's all, it was all new to me. So I'm, I'm still learning. So those, yeah. So seeping, I um, sought opportunities through grants. And then as people would invite me to do workshops, I'll do workshops anywhere. I've done workshops for 50 people in Minneapolis for Birch Park writing workshops here and at the college and Concordia there in, in Moorhead called me a couple months ago and wanted me to do a workshop on Zoom. So I thought, okay, let's try this. Let's do this. So I got together 50 packets of, uh, I I peeled some of the birch bark for them. And then I sent some birch bark uh, in each packet that they could peel themselves. So they get the experience of how it's not easy to peel and how you have to have patience to peel the birch bark. So we ended up with about 20 students. There was one even over in India. 
that beamed oh, in. Wow. It was so cool. So then I talked to them about what birch bark means to us and, and the medicines. And uh, so then we, we practiced uh, peeling and practiced biting. Again, some of them didn't have the teeth, so they weren't successful, but most of them were. So it was just so, <laughs> it's so much fun when they slowly unfold their biting and then hold it up to the light. I, you know, I'm a teacher. I love that look. It's like when my fourth grade math students would figure out a math yes. problem, that look on their face. Yep. It's the same thing when they open up their <laughs> bridge brush biting and hold it up to the light. So, so we did it over Zoom. So that was so fun. And writing uh, poetry again, I get invited to do uh, uh, poetry uh, readings. So my one book that just came out from North Dakota State University Press is called His Feathers Were Chains. And it came out in March. And again, right in the middle of the pandemic. And it's like I sort of lost kind of enthusiasm to start doing PR because I like traveling and being invited you know, I, I was, my other academic book, I was invited all over the nation um, to uh, Connecticut, to Alabama, to Oregon, to do uh, workshop readings on, on uh, boarding schools and, and talk about my book. So I missed that. That got cut short, of course, because of the uh, pandemic. And now this book came out. And again, I haven't been able to do like a little book tour that I wanted to do to do poetry readings all over the country. Uh, so, um, so now with my children's book coming out again, it's going to be probably a lot of Zoom readings and so on. So it's, it's, it's just not as much fun as being able to, to travel. But, uh, but again, I get invited uh, to do poetry readings. Um, the poetry, you know, we say Indian country is kind of a small world. And I say that that in Native writers is a small world and Ojibwe writers and poets is an even smaller world. So we sort of all know each other and support mm -hmm. each other and ask each other, oh, come and do a reading with me or, yeah, invite each other. So, yeah, if uh, I would probably be uh, in, you know, Minneapolis doing a great big book book opening <laughs> in May, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Well, hopefully, uh, things will start getting normal here uh, this year, at the end of this year, and we can go back to connecting with each other, seeing old friends. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, with this, you, with is, this has been you. a tough time. It has been. Uh, it's, it's, it's so strange that we are all sharing this isolating experience. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was nice this summer when we could you know meet out on the deck and stay six feet away and so on, have coffee on the deck with friends. So it's a well, I knew it would be a little bit more isolating in the winter for us because we can't. You know, Dr. Fauci says you know have your have your uh, family visits outside. It's like oh, okay, it's thirty below, <laughs> so can't do that. So uh, yeah, and you know it doesn't it didn't start warming up here until the middle of June. So we still got a ways to go. So, um, but I'm glad that, you know, I can, I can do my art, my bridge bark biting that keeps me busy. I have my beadwork, keeps me busy. And um, my mentor, Larry Y. Woody said, when one book is published, turn around and start writing your next book right away. So I have about 20 poems into my next book, which I don't know what it's going to be titled or anything yet. So working on that. 
And then I decided like so many other people during the pandemic to sort of take up a hobby. So I've been um, signing up for watercolor painting uh, workshops, you know, online and and doing YouTube. And so I started doing that, which I absolutely love. Just love it. It's hard. It's difficult. It's frustrating. (laughs) Yes. But, but I just love it. I'm not trying to be an artist in that. It's just something I do because because I love it, and I love painting uh, flowers uh, and and birch trees, the bark in the birch trees. So that's about all where I'm at right now. <laughs> but um, so I'm keeping busy. It's just peaceful and it's calm, and I'm glad I sort of uh, I'm not. Um, what do you call it when someone likes to be alone all the time? I'm not quite an introvert, okay. but, but I enjoy, I, I enjoy the time alone too. So what would you like to say to the 18 or the 22 year old that's listening to us right now? Oh boy, oh boy. You're going back in history here <laughs> because <laughs> you know, when, when I was 18, I, it was in 1969, I just graduated from high school. And I was out on the West Coast. And then I started my freshman and sophomore year at Portland State University. So in the uh, early 70s, late 60s, you know, that was was the hippie movement. I lived in a commune for a while, tried to be a hippie for a while. Mm. (laughs) But (laughs) some of the exciting time in history, if you remember how old you are, but at that time on campus, we had a black power movement and there was a lot of um, civil rights um, demonstrations going on across the country in mm-hmm. what we called at that time ghettos. But what I tell that 18 year old is that in, uh, in the 2020s and 2021, that black power movement ter- w- would turn into um, uh, black lives matter movement. And there would still be issues with um, racial inequity, though, so, you know, 50 years later. And at that time also on campus, uh, so I would go to Black Power marches, um, demonstrations and so on on campus. Mm-hmm. Also, they had women's lib. So I tell that 18-year-old female uh, that 50 years from now, we still haven't completely broken that glass ceiling, but it's getting better. We have women in Congress. We have Native American women in in uh, Congress. Yes. And we have our first female Black vice president. So I would, you know, my 18-year-old would be absolutely floored, like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> so then also on campus that I got involved in was uh, gay liberation. I go to meetings with uh, friends. And then, uh, you know, then... At that time, no one could really come out because they would get beat up or killed or they would lose their jobs. So I remember one, at one meeting, there was a newspaper person there taking pictures and the, the gal that was speaking just went over, took the camera and, and busted it because they said, we, you know, you could get us, we could lose our jobs. So mm-hmm. I, I would tell that those people, the... Um, gay liberation movement that it's still going on LGBTQ it turned into LGBTQ and that we have laws now that protect marriages and um, so that's been a big change but still a lot of work to do in that area also 
Mm-hmm. The Japanese at that time were seeking reparations for what happened to them during the World War, and they did receive monetary reparations. And now we see that uh, Black America, uh, Blacks are seeking reparations and possibly Native people too. Well, we, we always have been for, you know, give us you know land back, give us our land back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the biggest movement I got started in when I was 18, 19 uh, years old out there on the West Coast was at that time in the early 70s, the American Indian Movement got started within urban areas. And my parents, as uh, my parents had been boarding schooled and they had, you know, the pride of being Indian just literally beaten out of them. They had their language beaten out of them. So, uh, you know, total assimilation. The relocation program was another way, again, to get us off the reservations into the cities, get us assimilated, um, you know, um, just um, kill whatever uh, culture you had and, and make you ashamed of it. So I didn't know much about being Native growing up. I knew, you know, coming home to the reservation, people looked like me here, and I loved that. Uh, I, um, But I didn't know course, the language or the culture, just what it was to be to be Native. And I was s- actively seeking that out. So the American Indian Movement hit and it became like okay to be Indian across the nation. The 70s and there was yeah, a lot of programs kicked loose, uh, like like Indian Teach Corps program. There's monies that flowed uh, into programs on the reservations. But mostly it was this this activism. And on the West Coast, there was fishing rights up in Washington. So I got involved in that. Um, and I was, by then I was, I was pretty angry when I, I saw what had happened to us as a people and what happened to my parents at boarding school. So I was a pretty um, angry activist at that time. <laughs> and so was, you know, so were people in AIM. Since then, there's been a balance out with learning about my culture, coming home and learning about, you know, my traditions and studying the language and so on. And so, and the spirituality, of course going to ceremonies, going to my first sweat lodge when I was in my 20s. <clears throat> so that that's one of the biggest events in my life was um, just learning this long journey of the last, uh, from the time my 20s and I'll be 70, of learning who I am as an Ojibwe woman, as Anishinaabe, Ikwe, um, trying to relearn uh, the language. Both languages are, are, are Michif and, and the Ojibwe language which of course is a language of our ceremonies, um, tending ceremonies and sun dances and sweat lodge and shake tents, you know, all the, all the deep culture of, uh, of the people here. So that was, that was my biggest influence. And um, it's, it's been a long, wonderful journey. So I tell that 18 year old that things are going to improve, but there's still a lot of work to do. <laughs> so, one thing I, um, at the end of, of our interviews here, I, I often ask um, if there's a place where uh, our listener can find your work or connect with you um, or to connect with your work. Is is there a place for them to go to? Well, I have, one of my grandchildren are, have worked on my website. And okay. so it's com, I believe. So uh, we're still trying to set it up to where you can order books and so on. But my books are on Amazon.com. Uh, Our couple of them are at North Dakota State University Press. And 
And otherwise, just Google me, I guess, <laughs> or Facebook, of course. I get people asking if uh, I have anything for sale uh, for for both my books and my my birch bark art. So yeah, they can message me there. Uh, Twitter, I'm I'm trying to do Twitter, but I I really don't know how much to tweet. But I'm on Twitter, <laughs> uh, Instagram, I don't I don't know how to do that. TikTok, no way. So <laughs> yeah, so. Um, yeah, the best. And then, uh, so my email, my phone number and everything is out there. Uh, they can uh, message me through, through me emails and Facebook and so on. And the, and okay. the web, well, I don't know if they can message me through the website. Oh, and then I have on Facebook, I do have Mazina Bakajige, uh, Denise Lajmadir, uh, for my, my birch bark biting. That's not all too active on there. I should keep that more updated, but they could, I also get messages uh, through that. Uh, through Facebook, uh, interested in my book or my art. Well, I will. Uh, I will send links to uh, your webpage, and of course, invite people to to look you up on on Facebook as well. And we don't really have the time today to talk about this, but your book, Stringing Rosaries: uh, The History and Unforgettable, um, yeah. the Unforgivable and the Healing of Northern Plains American Indian Boarding School Survivors, um, an incredibly powerful book. Um, there are stories in there that resonate with the stories I've heard from my family uh, going through the same similar experience. Um, yeah. At some point, it'd be great for us to sit down and, and talk about this deeply important history. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I even have some line, uh, some uh, conferences lined up again, through Zoom, all the way uh, through spring and, and next fall. So I, I do, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough talk. I can, I can talk about, I can do like one conference and then it, it takes me about three months to recover before mm. I can do it again because mm. it's still pretty raw and pretty emotional, uh, yeah. the, the stories that are in the book and the stories of my family. But it's, mm. a, it's a story that I promised the survivors that I interviewed. They said, please tell the world what happened to us. So mm-hmm. I am, I will continue to tell the world what happened to them. So I will always talk about um, this book for as long as I can. Thank you for that. That Yeah. Um, so we will, I would very much like to speak with you again uh, on, on this. And, uh, and if we can link to uh, some of these conferences, that would be fantastic. Okay, sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dr. dear, thank you so much for this. This was absolutely wonderful. Thank you for the invitation. This was, this was fun. <laughs> and that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Dr. Lejamardier again for her time and sharing her story with us. Uh, to be able to connect with such an influential person within the state of North Dakota, where this series is recorded from, uh, she's worked with, again, a generation of authors and other artists, and it was such an honor to be able to spend some time with her and reflecting on her current work, her past work. Uh, this was just a fun episode. I also look forward to the next time we can sit down and talk about what is such an incredible vital story within the indigenous experience in America and those are the boarding school days um, it's uh, it's an experience that's happening with in my family and I know it's happened within your family and it's just something that um, that needs to be talked about and it needs really to be recognized more than it already has so uh, I look forward to that episode so 
Thank you. So, you know, I just want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please join us again next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on Facebook or at the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. And we're also on other social media too. Uh, there's a Twitter page that's not really all that active, but it's out there. And then there's an Instagram account as well. And that's definitely worth checking out. That's more of a focus than anything else. But uh, please uh, find us out there and connect with us. And if you have any suggestions for someone that, for me to interview, please look me up on Facebook and message me. I'd like to hear from you. Well, that does it. You take care and we will see you.